0: We're talking about rules, we're talking about guidelines, we're talking about all the things you do and you don't and the things that happen. And I don't know about you, but there's some people in the world that knows where the line's at as far as right and wrong, and they just want to step really close to the line. Like when Russell and I are officiating basketball, there's people that want to be called out of bounds, and the people may be millimeters of an inch away from that out-of-bounds line, and even some referees say it has to be over the line. If they're on the line, they're still in bounds, so they're really close. Well, last week I was at camp, and before I went, I used to have coffee in Perrysville about every morning with a bunch of guys, and they say if you miss more than two or three days, you lose your spot. I wanted to save my spot, so I took a selfie, printed it off, put it on some cardboard, put it on a stick, and I put it on my chair... In Perrysville. And I said, Good morning, guys. Just want to save my spot. See you in a week. I went back Friday morning. I won't say who did this. Uh, Happens to be one of my deacons. Happens to be Larry Rollins. That's what I came back to. <laughs> <laughs> There's guidelines, people. There's a code of conduct that we should follow but we don't, right? What's happening in the church at Colossae, the Colossian church, we've been talking about the last several weeks and we're going to continue talking about it because God gives us a set of rules, right? A set of guidelines. Maybe we refer to them as the Ten Commandments. We look at it through the New Testament and he says he gives us these commands that we love one another. We do these things and now they look at him back here smiling. But understand and one writer said it this way. says, Colossians tells us that rules and regulations have no power to make us moral. But does that make sense? Yes, it does, and you're going to find out the reason after a while. story of a guy who lived his life to the T. I mean, he brushed his teeth twice a day, went to the doctor twice a year, He wore galoshes when it rained, slept with the windows open, stuck to a diet with plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables, got at least eight hours of sleep every night. He never smoked, never drank, never lost his temper. He exercised every day. He was set to live to be 100 years old. His funeral is this Wednesday. He's 53 years old, survived by 18 specialists, four healthcare institutions, six gymnasiums, and numerous manufacturers of health, food, and drugs. He did everything right. But still, that doesn't guarantee we won't die tomorrow, does it? And that's kind of what we're talking about. We can do everything right. We can follow the rules. We can have rules self-imposed upon ourselves to a strict regiment of doing this or doing that. He did everything he was told to do, did all the things that we think are right, yet he still died. if you listen to all the health gurus in our day you might be fooled even into thinking that if you did everything right you could almost live forever now i'm not condemning people who eat right and who do all those things i tried to eat better although it was a long day yesterday i did a lot of mowing a lot of weed eating you know we ate supper and about nine o'clock i had ice cream you know i'm not supposed to but i still did and you know what i said to myself I worked hard, so what? I deserved it. Amen. That's right. You see, the Colossian church is being visited by these spiritual gurus, if you will. These men who are coming in and telling them that they needed to do these things. And Paul calls them false teachers. But these false teachers, these gurus, if you will, are guaranteeing that their teachings and what they're teaching would make anyone who followed their instructions to a T acceptable to God. And if they dutifully followed these instructions, they could live for eternity. So if you would, turn to Colossians chapter 2. Let's read starting at verse 20 through the end of the chapter. Paul says this. He says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? The rules of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Paul says, These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, what Paul's trying to tell us is, you can do all these things that maybe man or these gurus or the world tells you, but they don't have any biblical standing. Paul says they're going to perish, they're going to go away. And Paul refers to the teachings of these individuals as literally being hollow and deceptive, Based upon human tradition and the principles of this world versus being based in Christ. So we need to understand what's going on. Same thing we struggle with today. Doing right and wrong, having the rules to follow or not following the rules. Are we based on worldly things? Or are we based on the foundation of who Jesus Christ is? So what was this false theology that these people were teaching What was being taught by these false teachers that was so threatening to the faith of the Christians in Colossae? What is this false theology that Paul regarded as so much evil and devious? It was this. He literally is saying these false teachers were guaranteeing that those who observed their strict set of rules and regulations could be assured of being holy, pure, and acceptable to God. Let me ask you this. How many of you sitting here this morning like rules? Like having these regulations put on you? I mean, what would happen if I would get up here one Sunday morning and say, okay, everybody, sit up straight, turn your phones off, get your Bibles out, and pay attention. You know, most of you do what you just did. You laugh at me and go, yeah, right, Kurt. You see, that's kind of the way it is. Now, there are some rules that are good for us. We're going to talk about those. There are some rules we really don't need to worry about because they're self-imposed or they're worldly imposed. But so many times we listen to those that shouldn't matter more than the ones that do matter. Now, on the face of it, when we think about the rules and all these things that Paul is saying that are going to perish, it doesn't make sense. Why? Because everybody has rules, right? I mean, let's be honest. Everybody has rules, Schools have rules. Where we work has rules. Our homes have rules. Even churches have rules. We call them policies. But they're rules. They're guidelines. Um, now, I don't mind rules. And if some people say, I don't care about the rules. I don't follow them anyway. Or we'll have rules in our life or they're imposed rules that we have to look at. And we'll say, I'll follow the rules up to a point. Or we'll even say... I'm going to bend the rules up until the point I break them. So we stretch them a little bit. We know where the line is, and we'll get right up to it, just like sin. And we're going to say, I'm not breaking the rules, but daggone we're close. it just takes a little bit of something to push us over what those rules are. It's part of what makes us this orderly society that we need. When everybody knows what the rules are, it's then easier to live and to work together. How many know somebody in their life where the rules never apply to them. Just doesn't. Not going to tell me what to do. Not going to live by your rules. Or they get this attitude of I'm special. So these rules are for everybody else but not me. A rule is a rule. We're supposed to follow the rules that are set before us, especially the godly rules. And even in religion, it helps to know what the boundaries are. If I know what to avoid, if I know what sin is, then I won't sin nearly as often, although that doesn't always work out that way. We know what sin is. We know what our triggers are that's going to cause us to sin. We know that if we go to this site on the webpage or we go to this place and we go confront this sin or we're going to go to the edge of it, we know sooner or later the chances are great that we're going to step over and we're going to make that mistake and we're going to sin, even though we know those parameters A minister once told his congregation that there were 700 different sins. Now remember, the Jewish law had 700 plus sins that they had to follow, rules they had to follow. He said that one Sunday, he said that week, he received 46 requests for those 700 sins. Because these people wanted to know what they were missing out on. You know, they wasn't going to follow one. They wanted to know what they were missing. You see, even knowing the, the rules, even in the Old Testament was important. Part of the Old Testament laws was to help God's people know the difference between right and wrong. What we should do and what we shouldn't do. So these guys at the Classe church, these gurus, if you will, are playing upon the truth that the false teachers who had come to Classe had put together this rule book. It wasn't the scriptures. It was their rule book of what Christians had to do and not to do to be acceptable to God. Look again at Colossians chapter 2. It says in verses 20 and 23, through 23, it says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, we've died to the world, we're now alive in Christ, as though you still belonged to it, do you submit to its rules? Why do we listen to the world? Why do we do what the world says we should do? The world says do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Remember back in Jesus' day, there were things that they shouldn't touch, and you know, pork is one of them, and all those other things. Don't touch, don't eat, don't do those things. Paul actually says these things that man has set up are destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands, human teachings, not God's teaching. Such regulations have an appearance of wisdom because of their self-imposed worship, their false humility, the harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in it In restraining any sensual indulgence, Paul says. In other words, it's not going to keep you from sinning. It's not going to keep you from doing what you know you shouldn't do or not do what you're supposed to do. You see, these folks that come up with this whole list of things that said, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. And that's the nature of rules and regulations. Do not do this. Do not do that. And again, those are important for our safety, but not always. And that's what you and I should expect from a rule book. But there is one phrase that I think shocked me, in what Paul says, he says such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. In other words, it appears to be good, it appears not to be all bad, with their self-imposed worship, false humility, and lack of, um, and their harsh treatment of the body. But it says they can lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now you say, "Whoa, wait a minute! You mean if I know all the rules?" If I understand all the do's and the don'ts, even that won't help me restrain my sinful impulses. Even understanding all those things won't keep me from doing wrong. Yep, pretty much, that's what it says. Basically, that doesn't make any sense, does it? But when you really begin to think about it, when you really begin to start processing it, you start to think about it, and you come to the conclusion, yeah, that does make sense. Now think about it for just a second. You're driving down the highway, and you see the highway sign that says miles per hour is 55 miles per hour, right? Honest. A few of you do. Who truly drives 55 miles an hour? Or if you're on I-74, if you truly drive 70, period. No faster, no slower. Anybody? A few of you might. I'll give you that. I've, been, I've known some friends that I'm traveling with them, and if the of 55, man, he sets his cruise on 55. He can have 15 people behind him. He didn't care. You know, that's just the way he was. Now, how often did you see people driving that rate of speed or less? And if you see someone driving at that rate of speed, what ends up happening? If you got somebody ahead of you driving 55 miles an hour, obeying the rules, obeying the laws, what happens nine times out of ten? You're going to pass them. Man, you're going to leave them in the dust. And how fast are you going to go? You're going to break the rules, aren't you? You know the parameters. You know what's right and what's wrong, but we do it anyway. Everybody's passing them. like, I mean, I don't want to make fun of little old ladies. But sometimes you all drive me nuts. I mean, you're driving down the road 40 miles an hour. It's like, come on, move, I got things to do. And I'll pass them. I'll be nice, I'll wave as I go by. (laughs) All five fingers, I promise, you know. But I'll wave as I go by. And we do it at the earliest opportunity. Why? I mean, don't they know what the speed limit is? Of course they do. It's just that they regard the posted speed as being too slow when we Pass. We have trouble with that. Even policemen have trouble keeping the speed limits. How many times you get frustrated, you're doing the speed limit, maybe a little bit more. And all of a sudden, this cop goes flying by, and you notice they're in plain clothes, they got their family with them, and they're still going 90, and you're going the speed limit. I remember when I got to ride with my brother a little bit in his marked state police car. We were in Indianapolis, and he goes, watch this. We're on 465. Four lanes of traffic. Pretty heavy traffic, like it always is. He pulls back. To 55 miles an hour. What's the speed of them around 465? 55 miles an hour. You wouldn't believe the traffic that's backed up behind him. <laughs> he speeds up to 60, everybody follows. 65, everybody follows. He got up to 75 miles an hour. And everybody was one to go 75 when he was going 75, but not one person passed him. And it's hilarious to watch. And I even, he says, Guaranteed, no cops are going to pull you over if they're going that speed limit or you know, even below, but you have to be careful, you know, because you just don't know, do you? You just don't know what's going on. It's a true story about a group of motorists who were on the interstate in Pennsylvania, and they were all clipping along at a pretty good rate. Then they see this state police car, and everybody slows down. They said, This is a true story. So they're going for miles and miles and miles, and finally, this state policeman literally tells the people in his car, he goes, we're in Pennsylvania, I'm from Connecticut, why are people worried about what I'm going to do to them, you know, type thing. And it's all the same thing. We know the rules, but we want, don't want to follow them all the time. But understand this. We're getting to a point, I promise. If the rules become inconvenient, or if the rules challenge our sense of what we consider to be fair and just, Even if we ignore the law or we'll find a way to bend the rules or simply break them, and we'll always have an excuse or we'll always have this rationalization as to why we can bend the rules. I mean, why do people say, I'm going to go 5 or 10 miles an hour over the speed limit? What's their rationalization? Well, we know the police have this grace speed. If it's 55, they'll let you go 60. If it's 65, they'll let you go 70, maybe 73 you know we they have this grace and you know that's true but it's not a law it's not a hard rule but they they'll say those things you see the problem with depending upon rules to make us moral is this if you want to keep a rule i will if i don't want to keep a rule i won't it's as simple as that folks if i want to keep the rule man i will no problem. No questions asked. But if I don't, if I think it's a stupid rule, if I think it's one that doesn't apply to me, it's probably not going to happen. So the rules and the regulations will make you only as moral as you want to be. It won't, no more, no less. So if I'm going to be moral, and I look at my past, and I look at what I'm doing now, and maybe I'll say I need to be more moral than I have been. Something has to change. If I want to do something different from what I've done yesterday or in the past, something has to change. We have to understand that. Jesus said this in Mark seven, twenty-one through 23. He says, Out of men's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, greed malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and makes a man unclean. Maybe I've used this illustration. I got a bottle of water over here, got it out of the refrigerator. It's pure spring water. It's supposed to be. Okay? No trouble opening, have no trouble drinking it. And we say, you know, I'm good with most things as long as it's close to being right. I'll live my life, but I'm gonna live it pretty close to the line. But would you drink that water if it was ninety nine percent pure? Most of us probably would. 99% is close enough. Maybe even go 95% pure. Now, what if I told you I'm gonna take that bottle of water, not take any out of it, you know, just a little bit left in the cap, and take a dropper, a baby dropper, take raw sewage from the camp out of their sewage plant, and we'll put one drop in it. One little drop, would you drink it? No, absolutely not, why? It's nasty. So why do we live close enough to the edge? Why do we allow the rules to say, well, I'll keep it if I like it, but I'm not going to keep it if I don't? Apply to our lives. It's so. It happens so often. We may be able to set down a set of rules and understand we all have a set of rules to live by. But those rules will always be distorted by our desires. Okay, you all live by the set of rules. Maybe they're self-imposed. Maybe it's what you grew up with. But we do have a set of rules, and hopefully there's some godly aspects of those rules that we have, but they're only going to be about what my desires are, if I want to do them. That which we want to do will always determine our obedience to the rules. So in other words, what we're saying is this. If we have these rules, and they're only going to be affected by our desires, remember what we said earlier, something has to change. I mean, if we're going to do something different tomorrow than we're doing today, if we're going to make a change in our life, something has to change. Understand, the change comes from inside us. It's a change of the heart. Apparently, something has changed, even in the church at Classe. Listen to what it says, 9 through 15. It says, for in Christ, all the fullness of his deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ. Catch this. In him, you were circumcised in the putting off of the old sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised you from the dead. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having concealed the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So get what he's saying. Something has changed. When you and I were baptized into Christ, our sinful past was removed. Now, I don't know about you, but anything that's sinful is nasty. It's rotten. Now, if you have something that's molded and rotted in your refrigerator, what do you do with it? <clears throat> You're going to get it out as soon as you find it. Very few people are going to leave it in there. And that's what Paul is saying that when that happens, it's cut away from our body. He says, our hearts were filled with Christ in verse 10. He says, you and I have been forgiven of all of our sins in verse 13, and we've been made alive in Christ in verse 13. In other words, our old sinful heart has been taken out. It's been cut away and replaced with a new Christ-powered, Christ-centered heart. That's new. That's different. It means we're listening to God's rules and regulations. Because of that, understand this, because of that now, you don't do good things because of rules and regulations. In other words, you don't do the good and the things that you do in life because of the rules that we've made or the regulations. Now you do good things because Christ lives within you. Because of who Christ is. Because of who Christ and how he has changed our hearts and changed our lives. You're not moral because you have to be. You are now moral because you want to be, because of Christ, because of what he's done for us, because your heart now belongs to Jesus Christ. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, tells this story about a young lady who married this man, and he was actually was a tyrant, if you would, after they'd been married for so long. He didn't like the way she kept house. He didn't like the way she did the laundry. He didn't like the way she ironed his clothes. He didn't like the way she dressed. He didn't like the way she conducted herself in public. He constantly criticized her for everything. Early in her marriage, he handed her a list of 25 rules to follow, and she hated it. In fact, in time, she learned to hate him. And you can imagine how frustrating it was for her to have to constantly check the list to see if she was pleasuring all the things that he desired and to stay out of trouble. But she usually, as most people would, failed miserably on a daily basis. Each time she got a tongue lashing from him, he made her feel miserable and small. Then one day, much to her great joy, he died. Okay? And I, I would have to say the same thing. Probably the greatest thing in the the world for her. In time, she met somebody else, fell in love, and got married again. Now, most people wouldn't. They wouldn't take that chance. And what happened? She found out that as she was married to this man, she practically broke her neck to please all what he wanted and even brought him breakfast in bed. And one day, she ran across... This old list. And as she read down through the old list and how much she hated that list because of the man that gave it to her. She realized as she read down through that list she was now doing all the things that her old husband wanted but now she loved doing because of the relationship that they had. You see, that's part of being moral and unmoral. You do it because of who you are and who you love not because of the rules and regulations you see, rules and regulations won't make us moral, but they can't make us unacceptable to God. But with a new heart within us and an overpowering love for Jesus in our lives, catch this, we can joyfully serve God knowing that we've been changed on the inside so that we can be changed on the outside. When we change what's in here, I guarantee you people are going to see something completely different. Now I kind of started uh, this morning with the picture of me and how Larry dressed it all up and, you know, we laughed about it, you know. That's all fun stuff, you know. That, that, that's great. I love being able to do that. But then I look into the world and look into the things that, you know, things that I used to be involved in, not because I was doing all wrong, but, I, you know, you watch people and you see them do this and you just stand back and scratch your head and you ask, you know, why do they keep doing what they're doing? And understand, even that at junior high Wicked Camp, You watch kids and you tell them, quiet down when somebody else is talking, you don't talk. And five minutes later, what are they doing? They're talking. You know, you just want to go up and shake them a little bit. And it's like, why can't you listen? And on one hand, it frustrates me. And on the other hand, I understand they're junior hires. You know, they just haven't grabbed onto that concept yet. But we're the same way, too, when we truly think about it. We know the concepts, we know what God desires. We know things have to change on the inside so that the change on the outside can be seen. But the question is this, do I choose to change what's on the inside? Do I choose to change to what God wants me to be, to do what God wants me to do, to understand what God desires in my life not to do these things. Do I understand I'm not going to stand on the edge of what I'm supposed to do and not supposed to do because I know if I stand on that edge long enough, what's going to happen? I'm going to step across. I'm going to step across. And you know what? It may not be that I step across that line and everybody knows it. Everybody sees it. That it's going to make world news. But you know what? The one person who will know is the most important, and that's God. I think God tells us all the time, get back. Stay away from that garbage. Stay away from what you know. Change what's in your heart so you're not tempted to stand on that line and not do what God wants us to do. Man, I so believe that God wants so much for our life. That he's given us this one life, and we understand that, right? We have this one life on this earth to do what He desires to serve Him and all we do and say. He gives us this one opportunity. And again, I will to be uh, going to junior high camp is not one of my most favorite things to do. Sorry, Blaine, buddy, but it's just not. But then when I get that phone call on Friday, from Gary saying, Blaine went forward, and I get opportunity to, to talk to him. Same with Lacey. Get to talk to her about being baptized. You know, that wicked camp, all of a sudden, man, it's worth it. Man, it's worth it. Can I tell you something as I close, as we go into this invitation time? This same God, who probably looks at us like we're at a junior high wicked camp, and we're trying to figure out what's going on and what's happening. God has sent up for saying, just trust me wait for it something awesome is going to happen and i know it doesn't seem to be a week that goes by right now that we're not getting news somehow somewhere that something has happened to one of our church family members our church friends and all the different aspects that go along and you know there's sometimes i sit at night and i just think it's like wow when's it all going to stop you know and i don't know But I also know God has given us so many blessings that we can look back on too. This morning as we go into this invitation time, I simply want you guys to look at your hearts. Make sure we're doing what we're doing, not for what I'm saying from this stage or what somebody else is telling you or what the world is trying to tell you, but from exactly from the standpoint of what God has for you in your life right here, right now. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. God has a plan for you. And until we draw our last breath, until our heart beats for that last time, that plan for God is to serve him and serve him only. To have our heart with his heart. Because he's replaced our bad heart with his good heart. What's it going to be? What the world wants? It may be fine for now. But not in the long run.